0: Um, I was laughing because our producer, Sasha, if this is what it looked like she was doing. There's a giant tub. It, uh, quickly I was like, that could be a mason jar in her hand mm-hmm. with a frosty, milky beverage. Mm-hmm. But upon closer glance, it's not. Mm-hmm. It was just a untopped, unscrewed plastic tub of peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And this is what these young people do. <laughs> I thought to myself. She wanted to make sure that she got all every bit of peanut butter from the peanut butter jar. So she put milk <laughs> into it and started scraping it all up and shaking it up so she could have like a peanut butter. Like a peanut milk. Yeah. You know, the only maybe she learned this from Greta Thunberg. I don't know.
1: But, which, but that's not what she's doing. So there's some sleuthing to be done here. Yeah. Because she's stirring her peanut butter, which means Sherlock would tell you only one thing. She buys the weird ass natural unhomogenized peanut butter.
0: And if she was actually really smart and clever enough, she'd realize we are stalling <laughs> so that the police can come <laughs> kick to her location, kick her door down, <laughs> right. and arrest her for thievery and
1: shoplifting. <laughs> They're tracking the Zoom call. They finally found the Nutmeg Kid, America's <laughs> <laughs> most wanted food thief, the Nutmeg Kid uh yeah sasha's just this is the second episode in a row where she's had some kind of fucking she just sits at her desk and eats peanut butter this is this is work from home life it's uh, it's something it's not life. I have it's, my, it's work from home I have something. My organic creamy kirkland peanut butter that i opened yesterday and i needed to stir it up and here i am i had the spoon stir it up you know with my apples
0: another mystery kirkland fucking food criminal Oh, come on. You should uh, sign up for Discord channel to learn how not to live this life that Sasha is living right now. <laughs> we will teach you how to live life a little bit more deliciously at com. I would say most of the members are really amazing. We have a few that are pains in the asses. <laughs> <laughs> can, we,
1: can we say that out loud?
0: I guess so. No, we just did. We <laughs> did it.
1: But they're, they're special. There's a lot of special people on there. A lot of special conversations happening all the time.
0: We have Cometeer, Momofuku has 10% off any day, cook any day. I'm so happy that people are using it. We have Ghost, Ghost Pepper Chili Crunch out right now and Hot Honey for Momofuku. All right, let's go into the show. Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf. Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dunham Media. Thank you, Ola as always. We have, as a guest, an ensemble mm-hmm. with many facets to their business. Mm-hmm. And a name that some of you probably have heard of, some of you may not have heard of, but I will guarantee all of you guys will be way, way more familiar with in the days and years to come as they grow their business and their brand and all of their enterprises in general. And that is Ghetto Gastro. You know, John, we have Pierre, we have Lester, and we have the great Osai Endelin as the co-author of the book as well. And I guess she's in the universe, the orbit of all things Ghetto Gastro. And you may have seen Osai on our uh, Next Thing You Eat show on Hulu. One of the best minds, food writers out there.
1: Absolutely. And and like, and, and just like a perfect collaboration Asai did such a good job. Their book is called black power kitchen. And she did like an incredible job of writing that book. It's, it's just got so much poetry to it. Can we talk about cookbooks? Sure. What is the
0: reasoning to make a cookbook?
1: This is funny. This is so from time to time, a few times a year, somebody will reach out to me and ask me to co-write a cookbook with them. And I always ask, why do you want to write a cookbook? Do you think it's going to be lucrative? (laughs) This is exactly what I'm saying. Like, is it for the money? Do you think, I don't, I don't, I don't put it, I don't like try to slant their answer, but I'm like, is it because you want the money? Is it because you think it'll put more people in the restaurant? Or is it because you have something very important to say? And usually the answer is like, I don't know. Somebody told me I should write a cookbook.
0: That's very similar to, I think I should open a restaurant.
1: Exactly. It's the same thing. But what is the truth about How
0: many cookbooks are published a year? Someone got Would you say number. north of twenty thousand a year?
1: No, not north. I mean, uh, worldwide, maybe so, like in the thousands, but you know, like from the major publishers, you probably have five, six hundred titles. I bet in the in the states.
0: And of those, how many do well? Three. And what is a best-selling book? And I, I remember having this conversation with uh, Preet Bharara, former New York State Attorney General, no District Attorney of the Southern. He was saying that when he found out. How many books was a bestseller? Mm-hmm. He was like shocked. Well, that's not that much to begin with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like 20,000. If you sell 20,000 books,
1: if you crack, if you wanna crack the New York Times bestseller list, you need to, in your opening week, plus including whatever pre orders, you need to clear, yeah, 15, 20,000 copies.
0: So that's why I think people need to walk into the idea of making a cookbook with real expectations right there are a lot of different kinds of books you have small regional ones you have books that are just for a a person's community especially in the cooking world the books that sell well are always the most mind-boggling
1: to me Hmm. like unexpectedly yeah they're just
0: i again there's no rhyme or reason it's a little bit like a children's book yeah you're like, like wait i don't understand why goodnight moon has sold 500 million copies i don't i don't understand and whatever cookbook of like broccoli, 16,000 different ways, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's a hardcover book. That's $48. It's huge. You don't think that book's going to sell and it sold like, you know, 2 million copies. Like what the fuck?
1: Yeah. I mean, think about like, think about it this way. If every single person, you know, bought a book that you wrote, you know, that's like the worst selling book of all time. How do you get a book to sell to like a complete and utter random stranger? You know, like that's that's the thing is I, you, if you're only looking at like what's going to sell for yourself. And and so these guys, Ghetto Gastro and Osai, said it, they're like, we treated like this, this as though this is our first and last book. And I think a lot of books right now are written as, well, I'll write a book whenever. And I'm going to write this book because it's directly responsive to what's happening today in my life and right now. You know, so it's like, the foods of Wednesday, October 24th at 1227 p.m. And you're like, who's going to read this? Like, what's, what what separates this from a magazine article or a blog post or a social media thing? Like, I think the books that do well have have to like live on, have to have like utility and be like, I need to pick this book up over and over and over again because it's always applicable.
0: And when you build a collection, it's interesting. Like there's so many pasta books out there, right? Mm. Um, you know, The Flower and Water Chef has a great cookbook. Missy Robbins has a pasta book. You know, Chris Bianco has one. Mark Vetri. There's literally, I would say the past 10 years, 20 excellent, not just Italian, excellent pasta cookbooks. I have them all mainly because you you want to collect those if you're a collector of things, not just for the the book itself, which I used to do. I used to have, I would say, one of the very best cookbook collections I've ever seen. Again, Lost in Hurricane Sandy, <laughs> mm-hmm. not going back there. But um, it's interesting because you can see almost like how Bill Simmons goes back to st- stats like years ago, the difference in evolution and the things that people do, the difference in ratios of, say, double zero flour to semolina when they're making a semolina pasta, whatever. You, you You can start to see the granular changes in, in philosophy, but that's like a super small niche of people that will buy these cookbooks. Mm-hmm. If you're able to penetrate the audience of people that are like, I don't buy cookbooks, yeah. but I have to have one or two to put on my coffee table. That's like, that's the Holy grail of like, holy shit.
1: Right. Because you buy those because you're like, I know that there's a difference between what Mark Vetri does and what Bianco does and what Tom McNaughton does and, and whatever. Like uh, you, you can distinguish those, but the average audience is like the hell. I don't know any of these people. None of these people live in my city. I don't know who this chef is. I want the book that says like this is your ultimate, ultimate, ultimate <laughs> right. Pasta or book. they
0: might buy the beautiful seventy five dollar. I can't remember the publisher. The, like a Tauchin, like
1: yeah, posters of the, the of Italy. Right. It's like the big. You will thick, never you
0: know, cook from it ever, never. but it looks beautiful. I, I'm constantly answering questions from peers of mine that are like, "Hey, Dave, you've done some books. Can you help me out?" And I first tell them like, "Are you ready to prepare?" All of this time and effort for something you may never mm-hmm. see any reward from, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and an advance. I think don't think people understand what an advance is. What is an advance, Chris?
1: The advance is the payment you get up front against, That's that's you know uh, measured against like potential future sales. So if they give me an advance of ten thousand dollars to do this book, they're expecting they're they're saying. This is $10,000 knowing that you will sell enough copies that whatever percentage royalties from sales, you will eventually pay this back to us. And then once you've cleared your advance, every book you sell, you will continue to get a percentage of the cover price. That
0: book isn't for you to put money into your pocket.
1: No. And so this is the other thing is like sometimes cookbook, especially in the last 10, 15 years, cookbook advances like. Look like big numbers. I think, you know, six figures is not, is, is pretty standard. If you're like a, a chef of some renown or a, a, a writer of some renown, you can get six figures. And you're like, holy shit. Like, I just put a hundred grand in my pocket for this book. But then you're like, okay, so it's when, not like that. It's divided into like <laughs> six to <or> eight payments. <laughs> right. When do I get this? And the publisher says, well, you get $5 now. Yeah. and then $5 in three years. And agent
0: then, takes 10 to 15% depending on your cut and all of these things. So like you got taxes on it. So I'm always telling people you're not getting it up lo- you're not getting it up front unless you're like, you know, no, Clive Custler,
1: you know. Right. I would buy the Clive Custler
0: cookbook. <laughs> great. Um and you have to sort of that's your budget for product
1: production so of the book. This is the thing that people don't realize too. And like I you know, we're speaking to a niche audience of people who are gonna write cookbooks, but like we are <laughs> But that's the other thing. It's like it's the same with restaurants, the same with any business where you see this big number up front. And then you say, awesome. So, so I was thinking like I would fly to Italy to like learn from like the Nona's there. And, and uh, there's this photographer I really like. Oh, and I love illustration. Can I get an illustrator too? And the publisher's like, yeah, 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 that sounds awesome. And then you say, okay, so how do I pay, pay for this? And they say, well, he we gave you a fucking $100,000. Start spending it. Yeah. <laughs> start spending all of it, you know?
0: So, so most books lose money or break even. That's just the reality.
1: It Not is, even just cookbooks, most books. So your original question is like, why do you write a cookbook? Like, you're not going to make money. And generally speaking, unless you, you break into the big time, you're going to be speaking to your audience that you already have. So you're not necessarily going to bring new people into the restaurant. They don't discover you through your cookbook. So you got to have something to say and you got to really, really want to say it. And that's why I'm, I'm excited about
0: this book to get out there in the world. It has something to say. I would say most books don't have anything to say. They're like a Thomas Kincaid painting, right? <laughs> Which, again, if you can do well, you're going to sell and make a shit ton of money. But, like, there's no rhyme or reason as to how you're going to become that person. And Lord knows we don't need another pioneer woman in our lives, you know? It's true. I'm just jealous of her 2,000 acres of land she owns. Oh, my God. And her politics. <laughs> Good
1: God. Good God. Good God. No, I'm excited about this book for the same reason. I mean, like, this was one of the few books, too, where every page I'm like, oh, I just learned something completely. It sounds like
0: you're, you know, blowing smoke up their ass.
1: I'm not. I'm fucking... No, genuinely not. not. And that's the thing is, it's
0: very rare to have a book that sort of shuns tradition and the status quo. So uh, I hope that everyone enjoys it, but it's definitely a stance, right? And that's why I think it's not a cookbook. It's more of a book. It's more of a manifesto and I think it's beautiful. And what I, what I really hope people get is this is the philosophy because ghetto gastro is this multi-hyphenate thing. And you just haven't heard a lot of these stories in this way, right? From their, pers- their, their platform and their perspective of, um,
1: you know, strength it's usually told by someone else. hundred percent. They're, they're telling a story and they're opening a window into a world. I mean, that I mean, frankly, I'm not familiar with. I've never, like, spent any time in the Bronx. Like, I'm a Chinese-American guy from Southern California, like, getting to— That happens to be a huge Yankees fan. <laughs> Go figure. Um, but that's why I think
0: for anyone thinking about writing a book or even purchasing a book, right, you don't need to—you know, you should think about who you're going to support, right? So if you're a fan of a chef, you should definitely buy that person's book. But for anyone thinking about writing a book, don't make the book you think you should be making. hmm make the book that scares the shit out of you Mm -hmm. because it hasn't really been done before and your publisher's like that's fucking crazy yeah and ironically as chris and i work on another book idea the one book that we're thinking about scares the shit out of both of us because it's one of those extremely beautiful Mm -hmm. more mainstream books it's way outside of our comfort zone that's out of our comfort zone
1: yeah that's why it's scary is it's we're going to try to do something that we've never done, but we think need that all, like the world also needs to hear about. So I don't know. I, I think this
0: is a sort of a meta conversation about people in the industry or writing books, but in general, it's very rare to get a, a huge cookbook deal. Uh, it's very rare to find somebody with so much to lose. As they say, this could be our first and last cookbook to throw it all out there, to let it all out there, and just to, to, to sort of have every page speak to who they are and where they're going. So I very much enjoyed it. Very much enjoyed our conversation and uh, let you guys get into Osai, John, Pierre, and Lester. Ghetto Gastro. Expo West, say it with your chest. You know? <laughs> and, uh, man, I had never been there. Have you been to one of those before? That
3: was my first one. What'd you think? One Shit and show.
4: <laughs> one and done.
3: Shit show. But I, I have a lot of trade show trauma from my fashion days, so it definitely triggered me. But I saw some interesting things, like some nice emerging brands, things happening. But it also just reminds you kind of how corny, like, the CPG world is that we're in, so... I think it's a lot of room for disruption.
1: but expo- So this is like, just before we get away from it, I, w- I want people to understand, like, this expo is like a bunch of people who are trying to make something. Well, like, let's right. let
0: just get real here. It's Comic-Con for food nerds. <laughs> <laughs> like, real food wow. dorks. Right. This is and, true. And I think, like, I walked in for about uh, five seconds. I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here right now. Because I I saw... Seventy-five percent of the products there were cauliflower, this, some okay. kind of nut milk, that, and I was just like, okay, That's too much. I, I'd rather go to Comic Con. <laughs> That's not true. I, <laughs> Santa I, Con. No. I joke, but Santa now Con, I, I have yeah. to be part of this expo, so I got to geek out. I got to become a nerd myself, as you as do you guys. We gotta we gotta adopt this whole new language yes. starting from
3: square yeah. one in this world. So it's it's yeah, like you have to. Get get in where you fit in and get, or get down or lay down. So, yeah.
0: so what what is it? Like, you guys have so much going on. What is it that you are selling and producing that you needed to be at Expo West?
3: Right now, we're making pancake and waffle mix. We're doing syrups, and then we're working on some other stuff that I can't speak <laughs> about
2: yet. It's called the Pan African Pantry.
3: Precisely, that's the 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 genesis and the the crux of it all the mouth of the global South. So looking at this cross-continental collision of flavor, you know, Southeast Asia, all of Asia, actually, Africa, the Americas, really like centering stories that aren't from Europe.
1: So th- this is the thing every time I've ever been around this this group of people <laughs> is like, I'll, I'll listen to you guys describe anything. And I'm like, I'm in, but I'm, and I leave and I'm just like, how many things are they doing, and what what the hell what the hell is going on? So, can we just like for everybody's service, what is Ghetto Gastro? Obviously, you just described the Pan African Pantry. You've got CPG goods. You've got a book that you wrote with Osai Enderlin, who's sitting here looking at me from across the table. Yeah. But like, that's all under this umbrella.
2: What is Ghetto Gastro? Well, Ghetto Gastro we're a culinary collective from the Bronx, and we operate at the intersection of food, fashion. Architecture and also activism. So, you know, talking about like our, our CPG line that we have, but we also design uh, a line of kitchen appliances that are every target across the country. We're in Williams Sonoma as well. So we have air fryers, waffle makers, toaster ovens, uh, things along those lines. We have a line of uh, carbon steel cookware. And then also, even in the height of the pandemic, we fed like tens of thousands of people in the Bronx who were food insecure. And uh, and you know we do events as well with uh, brands like Audemars Piguet, Nike, Facebook, Cartier, Cartier and uh, things like that. We have dropped the uh, headphones with Beats by Dre. So. We- Honestly, we just use food as a tool. Did our to... own
3: Jordan sneaker, yep. you know, Lucky Peach. I got the dunks. We got, we got the Jordan. So I, I gotta say,
0: the Jordan so it's natural that you guys would be way cooler in the sneakerhead world. I was like, God damn it!
2: That's <laughs> okay. No, but you got you got no, the, Your dunk dunk fire, fire. the dunk was The dunk
0: was fire. The dunk was fire. Yeah, but you got Jordan brand. Yeah. That's a wholly yeah. different grail, man. <laughs>
2: Uh, you know, yeah. Look, look. Yeah. So you,
3: you, walk. So, you walk so we can run, baby. Yes,
4: yeah, it's about the flash it and encompassing all the arts too. Like you know, we done things like from taste of Wakanda to you know uh, Le Bronx brasserie in Paris, you know, in, in Place Vendôme. So you know, the stretch, the reach is 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 pretty far, man. So it's global domination, man. Ghetto Gastro Global it's doing cool shit with food that people can adapt to. Like, People from our communities and people from, you know, because there's the South Bronx everywhere. You know, there's a Bronx
0: everywhere. Well, you, you brought up a point that I want to sort of elaborate on. You guys are doing cool shit in food, which means what exactly? Because whatever we want.
3: Yeah, I think for <laughs> us, we're, we're storytellers. And, I, and <clears throat> basically food is the medium that we use to tell stories. And ghetto gastro has been a great excuse to exercise all of our interests mm-hmm. within it. It's really about teaching,
4: teaching folks, you know. It's like the book is a prime example of that. That's nourishment, you know, nourishing the mind, the body, and the soul. You know, you get some reading in, you get some excellent recipes, and it, it's just a feel good, man. It makes, you know, it, get, it makes our mothers proud. We got a chapter in the book called uh, "Mama," dear mama, dear mama. You feel me? So it's so also about putting up, putting our, putting our women on the pedestal, <laughs> mm. you know. Cause that's where we come from. Someone DM'd me women.
5: today and said that he devoured it. He Said this is amazing. Mm. It just was like no exclamation points, just like flat, like you know. It's there's there's
3: a it's no filler. Yeah, it's all everything just heat is, rocks. Is, it's like yeah, it's potent. A lot of singles. It's just a and it's, we're moving with intention.
2: You know what I mean? We're not just not out here doing things willy nilly. Like everything that we're doing is calculated. We think about. Every event that we do, every product that we put out, every every word that is written or spoken, you know, we you know all of these things are said with intent because you know we're on a mission over here at the Black Power Kitchen, you know, and that's just to like like let's said feed the mind, body, and soul, and also just show our people different ways of entrepreneurism with culinary using food as that tool to kind of just expand and break down some barriers. You know, this book Black
0: Power Kitchen, it's beautiful. Number one, Uh, number two, the stories are what make the book so different to me, the attitude, the philosophy. And we'll get into the recipes in a second. But I wanted to get to, because of the philosophy, of what you guys do creatively, There, what was the first sort of iteration of like, what is this book going to be? Because I think it's a book, not a cookbook, right? That's how I think about it. Thank you. And when we do a book, we always, I think about, it. I can't have it be like all this shit. It's got to be this, this, and this. It's almost an exercise of what it can't be. So can you describe? Because I think that had to have happened, right? Like this book can't be X, Y, and Z.
3: Yeah, when when we first approached the creation of this work, it was really like, that, that was a big base level cornerstone. Like, all right, we're different from everything. Like it's been, like Chris mentioned, it's hard to put us in a box or figure out exactly what we do. So what we wanted to accomplish was like, all right. If we're approaching this project, how do we encapsulate what Ghetto Gastro is—the ideology, who we are, what we're about—as if this was our first and last book? And then also, how do we how how do we just make it fun and make it different and make it interesting and be something that we're proud of? We're all about breaking format.
1: So both in terms of like the brand as a whole and this book, like give me examples of like what's not a fit. What's like a collaboration someone's come to you with where you're like that's not. You, you missed the point or like what was something with this book that the publisher's like so you guys will have pictures of you all in the kitchen like our publisher our, our publisher
2: shout out to artisan was they were they were with us they were with us a lot like they were they, they gave us a lot of leeway creatively. And I they do like, I should have shit at ours. They're very nice. Nah, they, gave us, they, gave, they gave us a lot of, they gave us a lot of creative freedom to be able to create something like but this. But you know, like, did you but, see other books where you're like, that's not, we're ne- we'll never do that. Yeah. It was basically like almost every other cookbook that's ever <laughs> came out. I think that we, you know, we wanted to steer away from the norm. It's like, all right, what is, what, what do people think about when they think about a book with food? Let's go the other direction. Colors of the pages, just the context of how things are written, how the food is delivered. Just what's paired with the food, and just even how the story, how Osai went about writing the stories, and we were able to intertwine the actual storytelling. Like, because like John mentioned before, like we're storytellers. Yeah. We want to we want to tell a story first and get and get these messages across. So. I think that there was a few books that we that we used in terms of reference, like, uh, visually. But... I had
3: this really rare yeah. Japanese book that I got from Dashwood. It was, like, a first edition that was printed in 1993 by a photographer who wasn't a food photographer. And that was, like real, like, initial inspiration. It was, like, macro. And we didn't go this direction with our photography, but it was just, like, all right, this is something different that's beautiful. It looks sexy. It's a vibe. It's, like, really... Putting the food and the ingredients on the stage. He was doing like a macro flash photography. Just imagine like mackerel in a Japanese restaurant, but macro shots. Like mm-hmm. that silver skin, the eyes popping out, zoomed in, like it was it was incredible. So And it was
2: on glossy paper glossy and things paper, like that. Yeah. So we were using different things for reference for like what we wanted it to look like. So I don't think we were uh, we were creating this book with intention of what we didn't want it to look like but we were kind of moving with what do we want this to feel like we were using if you if we're thinking about books that we might have used it was like that Japanese book we did draw some uh like uh visual references we went to did a trip up to uh Seattle and went to modernist cuisine and did a and did a tour with them and like learned a little bit about how they do their photography and capture some of these moments. And we didn't we didn't actually do that stuff, but those are things that were like in our mind while we were creating, getting some of like these motion shots or any of the other like visuals you'll see in here. And that
3: was one film. of the things like for us, like visuals and aesthetic is so important. And as you know, you've seen our brand for for the last decade. That's a big part. But really nailing how that translates into food visuals, food photography and food storytelling. It's something like we've played with, but we we never like this is two years of just bong, bong, bang, bong. Bang, bang. It's not like a transient, quick activation. It's yeah. like you're in this project for a substantial amount of time. So we, we got to keep refining it and really define that. So that's one of the things I'm most proud of is having the verbal language, but also like really having a clear visual language that translates to the food photography. Mm-hmm. So all that with all that said, it's like
4: we want our book to be a reference point for the next, you know, group of entrepreneurs, next group of creative entrepreneurs to reference to our book and say, you know, we wanna set the we wanna set the bar with with Black Power Kitchen. So I think that's what we've done. That's what we've accomplished. I think we set the bar very high. We set the bar. I think the bar is yeah.
5: set very high. I mean, when I first sat down with these guys a lot of the visual elements that they were talking about were were very clear, you know, and there was obvious that there was a strong brand identity, which is something that a lot of folks don't have on these projects. They're coming in to a publisher looking to have that created for them or had it, have it generated, and that's a lot of translation happening at once, and, you know, you can see how sometimes people end up with a cover that doesn't really look or feel like them or their food, you know, these elements come into play. But, you know... When you have all these big ideas, it's really important for me as a storyteller to find a narrative thread and not just be throwing out, you know, bullet points or topical issues. Because you can throw a lot of verbiage at people and think you said something or make people think that you said something and not be really coming up with anything meaningful at all. So I think, you know, one of the things that I first thought about in trying to thread all of these different experiences together, like they're traveling, they're global. They're, you know, they've got this, you know, non, non-conformist attitude. They're they're bringing fun. They're bringing levity. They're, you know, bringing skill sets and training from, from different spaces, different cultural spaces. What does that, how do you thread that through? How do you create a narrative around that? And how do you do it in a way that, you know, is shaped by your own point of view, right? And your own voice, because this is not like just one way, right? Like this is a collective where... You've got three individuals in the group and then you have myself as this interpreter and storyteller who also has a point of view and so all of that is getting distilled and you know it's it's a really it's so rich because of that
0: I think one of the questions that I wanted to ask you as as an audience that may not know anything about ghetto gastro because you guys are so multifaceted I find interesting is your license to look at the world in a global fashion it's not just that your travels because the book is so it's 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 taking from everywhere from somebody that may not get it i i think i have an answer i would love to hear you why do you guys have the ability to to take from so many places and it's not take but i think it's a it's a there's a there's a nuanced way that i don't know how to quite answer because for myself as a korean american people are like you can't do this, this, and this. I'm like, no, fuck.
3: I can do this, this, and this. I feel like if you're not a white dude, you could do what the fuck you (laughs) want. That's the answer.
1: The, The question Dave is asking is, why is it okay that there's a Mapo tofu recipe
2: in this book? And I think your answer is fucking right. And yeah. <laughs> also because how much, how much have everybody, how much have you taken from black people? How much has been you taken already? Saying? You guys take, our people take our language, they take our culture, they take the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we dress. You know what I'm saying? But we're not taking anything because we're paying homage to these places and to these and giving reference to these places and just talking about these are things that we've experienced in our travels. And like, these are, these are also different ways to interpret, uh, to interpret, this food, and these people are people of the community that we grew up around and we're just sharing these stories because these are stories that haven't been told as well. you know. So we wanna put them and give them a platform.
0: I think it takes oh. some, a perspective uh, that you guys have that maybe other people that are white or non-colored people may not see. I'm not to say they can't, mm-hmm. but if you read the page about uh, takoyaki, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I wonder, do you think that people that don't understand will get the fact that this is an homage not just to japanese culture and street food there but to conch fritters right mm-hmm. like that that comparison is honorific mm-hmm. it's also like you guys i get you know what i mean like i get it or you you know what i mean like you guys are making this book we get it do you think that other people will get that connection
3: i think you know hip-hop is an art form that's born from sampling sounds from other genres, whether it's jazz, beat bop, it could be a Beatles record and chopping and screwing it and, and then creating their own new vernacular. So that's what we're doing. Like our travels have deeply changed us and informed us. And the more you see, the more you can be. So if we didn't go to Skeegee market and have Wagyu beef fritters at five in the morning, like, where it's like, oh man, this is like a beef patty, but without it, it's like so many things that connect. So even when you mentioned being Korean American and like how the 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 American soldiers, a lot of them from the South, like with frying chicken. So or how um, tempura got to Japan through Portuguese travel, just like the Black Samurai made his way to Japan through that same route. So it's all of these shared stories and mythologies, or like Szechuan peppers didn't grow there originally you know they 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 came over so it's like all of these things and all of these shared flavors i think it's a great portal into other culture
5: And when you say get it you know like i i think there's a hook for anyone like it may not be like every recipe might not hook everybody but someone's gonna see something and say oh right like i see myself in there and i mean i'm hearing from a lot of people who are not necessarily culturally represented in the book and they're Really blown away by its resonance and how personal it feels, um, and that—that's the—that's that's the gift of the univ- the most universal stories, right? They're, they're so specific, um, and you can see yourself—you can see yourself mirrored in them. I guess it is
0: like a really good song. It you got to be, sampled, in you. you know. Not everyone can do it.
2: Yeah, and it yeah, got to be in you, man. The sauce, yeah.
4: It got to be in you, man. I like to say a lot of times, man. I didn't choose this life. This life chose me. Man. And you know, if I didn't grow up around the people that I grew up like strong, influential women like my mom, you know, it would be different. I think with Ghetto Gastro, we each take from one another. And Osai, you know, so eloquently put our story in the book, you know, without us having to write the words ourselves. But each one of our personalities, she took from that and put it in a book. So it's interesting how she put it in each recipe, you know, if it was a recipe by me or if it was some art curated by John, she made sure that she told our story and the reasons why you know we make these you know why we make these decisions and why we have this creativity you know i went to four different high schools and you know i took a little bit of everything from each high school that i went to I graduated eventually from park west with a culinary scholarship to go to a culinary school and without these without these steps that we took to get here You know, it would really be no story. So each one of us has depth and each one of us remixed our own songs. Mm. You know, we put that in the book, you know?
2: And the reason why everybody doesn't do it because if it was easy, everyone would do it. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason why we are here doing this because we put in the time. We put in thousands of hours flying around the world, you know, draining our bank accounts, sleeping on the ground, you know, being relentless. You know, honestly, like, I can't even, I can't even fathom how much time we've actually put into this actually, actual business. And this, it's just been a learning experience for us. And we wanted to just distill that into, you know, some printed matter that we could share with other people. And we
4: don't front neither. Like we've worked, I've worked in, I've worked for, you know, rest in peace, Floyd Cardos and Tabla. You know, I've put in a pain with jean George. you know, I've, I've, I've put out, you know, 250 meals a night, you know on a consistent basis, Mm. you know, Um, you know, just flying our meals. And that gives, that gives us grit in the game. You know, it's not like something that was just given to us because of our looks, because of (laughs) our, you know, like, it it, it really is, it really is some elbow grease that was put into this process. Like, you know, me winning Chopped, for instance, you know, I wasn't, maybe I might not have been the best cook, you know, but I really had the intent to win and I really had the, you know the the the. I really had the presence as well. You know my story. I feel like with my story alone, it one shot because I grabbed the viewers and I grabbed the judges. So it's really about putting your passion into whatever you do. So this is this is what we do, man. We come from a very passionate people, very resilient people. You know, in our, in in the Bronx in our neighborhood. And there's like I said earlier, there's the it's a Bronx everywhere. There's a Bronx in in, in Brazil. You know, in in Bahia. There's a Bronx in. You know, California, we got Compton out here, you know, it's, it's, it's a Bronx in Paris, you know, in the suburbs. So we connect, we connect with, with everyone that we meet and in every dish that we put in that book, there's a connection. We've either been there or we have shaken a person's hand or we t- tried their food or we've been to their establishment. We sat on their furniture. You know, we put, had our feet on their tables,
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and we rocked our do-rags, but we did it too. Hey. Man. It's tying together a lot of the past to the present and leading a trail of breadcrumbs to where the future is going to be. So what do you think the future tastes like? Is there a place the future, that is making future food right now? The future tastes like chili lime liberation pasta, <laughs> you know? The it's
4: future, the, the, the the future, future tastes, tastes like the mouth like of summer. the
2: global south. Uh-huh. Yeah, the Pan-African
3: pantry, right, like well, for so long. yeah communities like whether it's peasant food from wherever you know you look at asian cuisine often the gdp of a country correlates with how people value their food right so french food has always been on a pedestal or other european cuisines where they might look at oaxacan food or mexican food that could be super complex but they think it's supposed to be fast and cheap same with chinese food dim sum dumplings like before like Hakassan and Mr. Chow and these type of people reframe the context of these cuisines to be a experience to be valued, they weren't. So it's our job to to reclaim and create that value and let people know, like, no, this is this these ancestrals, lega, ancestral legacies have value, hold value and will remain to create value. So let's honor them as such.
2: And then also capture that value for ourselves and be able to recycle that amongst our people as well. Because it's not just about us and capitalism, but it's also about us being able to give back to these communities that have had so much extracted from them and not put back in. So we want to do that with everything that we do. We All right. So this, th-
1: this is interesting. I mean, so Dave's asked about the, the future of flavor. And you're you're talking about, like, communities that have been, not had access to, 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 what, we're, to what you're talking about. Most of this book is plant-based.
2: Yeah. Plant forward, happy. plant forward. Yes, indeed. There's
1: no beef, no pork in here. There's chicken, but like everything's has I'm a conscious. plant alternative. Mm-hmm. Is the future? Is that the future to you? And then tie that in Pierre to like what you're talking about, like the Bronx, these communities you're talking about, like uh, Compton, underserved communities. Nobody's trying to sell plant-based protein in these communities. Like, is that the intent? Is like they these like people deserve to the same benefits of whatever health, sustainability,
2: all of that yeah I think what we what we what we're talking about in the book especially like with the ingredients that we're using is you know th- we we talk about uh s- systemically oppressed and food apartheid communities because these are these are all by design the reason why we don't have access to this food is by design but what we're doing by i mean we're using plant based meat we're not saying that everybody has to use plant based meat in the for in the future but what we're doing is also showing our community that there's other ways that we can make these foods that are better for our that can be better for our environment. There's still there's still uh, a lot of court to be had on like the lab meat and shit, you know, but in general, you know, we're just offering different avenues and different sort of techniques and a different lens onto how to adapt and use these ingredients. Where it's not anything that's too too scary or anything like that. Flavors that they might be familiar with, but also ingredients that they might not know that are like intriguing to them because like we've been pushed with like a lot of and commodities. this plant based thing yeah. ain't
3: new. It's like no, nah, we've been we doing this shit. grew up in the North Bronx with rosters that were doing vegan diets. So Diet many time. things have been adopted uh-huh. and reframed and we repackaged. Like I was talking the other day about the Haley B- Bieber smoothie at Erewhon with S'mores. I grew up going to get S'mores from the from the juice bar up the block, and it wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't anything that you saw outside of. That community, or even going to Chinatown to get the different herbs like the gong, the baji chew, and that's an OG like black and Asian collaboration, mm-hmm. you know, like 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 looking at the different herbs and and holistic health and whatnot. So it, it all it all comes together. It all comes together. And We like the, to call yeah. it
4: conscious cuisine. Yeah, you
2: know, taking
4: accountability, taking accountability for the for the calories,
3: taking accountability for the food that we put in our bodies as well. And it's about desirability as well because I don't know about you, but I'm not running to get a dehydrated kale chip with like dry <laughs> ass cheddar flavoring on it. So it's like, how do we create these options and make it culturally attractive? But and you
1: found you delicious. Like, the the connections are there and they're natural. And the ones you have found are like amazing to me. You know, I talked about I said you know there's a mapo tofu recipe in here, and I, at first I'm just like, what is this doing in here? But then I'm like. You tell the story of where Mapo Tofu comes yeah. from, right? It's it's just this woman, this old pockmarked faced woman, woman yeah. like just trying to hustle in her neighborhood and selling this, like literally like pushing her cart around or carrying her rice on her stick. And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> like these guys from the Bronx just trying to like get their flavors out there, make they like serve food to their community. Of course, Mapo Tofu makes more sense here than it makes sense in the. 750,000 other places we have seen it pop up in the last like 10 years. You know what I mean?
5: But it's also in a chapter, like it's not just randomly in there, right? Like it's not like they were like, we got to do a Mapo Tofu recipe. It's like we're telling the story, right? And in, in this part of the book is talking about direct diplomacy, Bronx to the world, and what it means to take who you are wherever you go, not as a force of domination, but as a opportunity for exchange and, and for, for knowledge sharing. So... Um, and and for community building, so you know that is that dish is there in reference to you know beloved experiences they had you know in in restaurants in 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 those in those places or you know as Les said you know the 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 relationships that they have with folks from that culture and you know that's that that's the common thread of you know everyone at this table like you know I'm why are you in Oman. Because I want to eat here. Like, you know, like, what did you do in Beirut? I ate. I talked to people, like, you know, like, it's, like, very clear. It's very consistent what we're doing. And, you know, the the knowledge that you have, as John said, it, it, it transforms you. You know, it transforms you.
3: We break bread to build bridges. And even our fried chicken recipe, like, we could have took a grandma's recipe and did that. But it's like a karage mm-hmm. rendition, you know, because... We've picked up skills from how they fry that chicken. And even when you think about the history of Karage and how it all circles back and connects. So it's, it's like deep storytelling there.
0: Well, how important is it for somebody, whether they're buying their book or buying one of your products, to know the story, right? For I'm thinking, like, hmm. is it important for someone that, say, buys your sorghum, right, to know the story? Or just because it's fucking delicious? Delicious uh, has to be uh, first, first. and foremost, it, it has flavor to, first.
3: Story doesn't matter if it doesn't taste good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, so it has to, because some people, we want everybody to read it. Some people might not, you know, so it's like, it has to
2: work. It Do you has think to they're even good. questioning,
0: like,
3: how come they're not just selling maple syrup? Well, With some
0: dude they, in a LL Bean jacket. They could, well, they could, well, they
2: could do, they could, they could do some more research. You know, we leave, we leave some breadcrumbs. Yeah, we, we just like, like John said, leave some breadcrumbs out there. Like, and also that's why we are, that's why why we like to operate in different spaces because if you're not gonna buy the syrup, then maybe you need an air fryer, or you might need a waffle maker, or you might just want something, you know, uh, that's gonna enlighten you when you're watching something on uh, online. So you. Tune into our Instagram page and get a good laugh in or something like that. Like we're giving, we're, we're delivering this on different levels so that people can consume it however they may. You can read it, you can eat it, you know, it's, it's, it's all there. So
0: how important is the the concept of sub- subversion, right? To get people to buy into something in, in the movement that you guys are creating without even knowing that they're doing it. To me, that is the most powerful
3: long-term way of change. We call it putting the medicine in the Kool-Aid, you know? <laughs> It has to go down sweet, but we're giving you that stealth health bit by bit, chipping away at the block. And and that's how we make substa- substantial change. And it's, but that has to be at the foundation. It's like, cause you can't build a house without a strong foundation. So if we're just throwing shit at the wind and we don't have the research, the words to make it all make sense, you could easily shoot shots at it. But when it's solid, it's like, nah, this is like, we could stand on this.
1: You gotta about waffles. Is a pancake ever better than a waffle? Mm-hmm. Mine, mine depends. Yeah, it yeah, can be. They can, I can be. I had a really
3: good pancake. It can in, be. In, in Mexico City. They can not
1: be. In Mexico that, City, you had a good pancake.
3: Still, it was a corn pancake out at at, at Rosetta. Uh, Rosetta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God, it's incredible. Yeah, but waffles are great, and I think they're they they. I think you could have more savory d- applications with the with the waffle.
1: Yeah, you can only have one for the rest of your life, though.
2: Ooh. Ooh a waffle that's the toughest question of all. A, wavy, right. a wavy waffle a wavy waffle wavy. catches
3: the syrup I'm I here do, to ask do a, do a wavy, wavy waffle it. cause, wavy.
2: cause it's, yeah, it's it's the you crevices can, yeah, you, you know, can do it it's, it's, the, it's the crevices it's,
4: yeah it's, it's the way the butter just melts and <laughs> it just goes in the pockets and the squares we uh, usually don't keep squares thing, in our circle. Whoa! That's, that's the, whoa, one, that's the only weird. time we fit squares in our circle, man. We man.
3: <laughs> so you go
0: pancake all day?
3: Yeah, man. Because he can.
0: Pancake. Yeah. Cause, uh, uh, listen, Osai is the pancake. smartest person here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. You said You said
2: savory, you said savory pancake.
0: Yeah, because well, you can wrap I, shit in it, yeah, man. Yeah. Ah, that is, that yeah. is. I got more versatility. Well, you can't fold a waffle around I'm something. Like, what come you on, you now? can make a no, sandwich no, 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 with yeah. a waffle.
2: Yeah, you, yeah can. It is. you can do the waffle. You can do waffle you cones. You can't do a fried chicken <laughs> <laughs>
3: pancake <laughs> wrap. You like, can do waffle I guess you can, but you it's can do waffle like, like a Sandwich with the
4: waffle. Nobody inside. wants an ice cream pancake. It's the texture for me. It's the crunch on the outside and it's the you know the the fluffiness of the inside for me. You know, I don't want
2: a pancake at dinner.
4: Thank you. But also, you can oh, do that's it. Savory, also, yeah, there's so also I, I recipes <laughs> where the pancake has a bit of a crisp on it as well on I'm the top about. and the bottom, that's and on I the mean. inside is fluffy. So,
0: um, <laughs> it went away. You, you guys did uh, the made, great Trevor made, Noah's uh, show, Thank and uh, you know, I had a conversation with him once because I have not been to South Africa, and he, he, w- we were talking about future food and flavors, and he was like, future food is in South Africa, and I was like, I think I haven't been, but I was like, what about the Caribbean? To me, though, he's like, well, he thinks it's more multicultural in South Africa mm-hmm. in terms of the flavors, in terms of the food. Because I haven't been there, I have been focusing a lot of my efforts on places in the world where there is a convergence of like at least three to four different groups of people, oftentimes against their will, right? Whether you're in Peru, Malaysia, there's there's like 10 different spots. The one that's closest to me in America is the Caribbean. And I think that it is... I I don't joke. I think it is future food because you have the convergence of so many different flavors. And I believe that deliciousness is something that wants to, like, find a way to constantly reproduce itself. And the food of the Caribbean is a mixture of so many beautiful things and cultures. I just
5: came from St. Lucia. I did a piece for Travel and Leisure about the cuisine that is becoming more localized in these major luxury resorts and, you know, other hospitality spaces, as opposed to projecting that French, British, you know, menu at every restaurant, you know, as the highest level of cuisine. And, you know, you're seeing, you know, saltfish and, and and bakes and, um, you know, things that, you know, weren't necessarily always going to be options for you and how people are cultivating that and this sense of pride that is emerging from, you know, similar conversations we're having here, you know, around like, Really connecting to, you know, who we are, and to loving that history, and to nurturing that history, and teaching people, you know, to to perpetuate that. I think I think the Caribbean is also a lot more diverse than a lot of us give it credit for in the United States specifically. I mean, Pete can speak Not, to this.
3: Yeah. Not in New York, we know it's, yeah. <laughs> we know it's happening uptown. It's here. a
2: melting pot uptown, but I would say just on the Caribbean tip. You know, shout out to Barbados because that's where my family's from. There's a, there's a lot of ode to Barbados in the Caribbean in the book, but you know, it's something that that we're aiming for on the islands right now is really to make a change and and steer away from like all that colonialism mm-hmm. and to release release colonial ties, especially through the food. So you're definitely seeing a lot of new emergent flavors that we haven't seen because they we haven't had really had access to them because mm-hmm. the people people have had such a connotation with uh, working on the land and harvesting to slavery that it kind of uh set us back so many years in the islands where we haven't had access to seeing like tamarinds and mangoes and soursops and bread fruits and different star fruits and these different ingredients and all spices and things used on a more globalized level and a globalized scale until now where everybody's starting their own new nations and mm-hmm. being able to develop these flavors and 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 spread the word. So and being
5: able to self-rely as mm-hmm. opposed to having these dynamics where they're purely tourism tourism driven economies that rely you know, on
2: foreign supply
5: and having to import foods when you know we learn you know how to grow you know locally and you do that at a scale that can feed the population. So I agree with you. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's happening.
3: Yeah, Caribbean is crazy because think about even like the the Chino Latino, like cuisine like growing up on that so like Chinese Jamaican food you know Chinese it's just it's just yeah it's rich because you think about you know enslaved Africans indigenous peoples of these islands Arawaks Tainos different cultures you look at the the colonizers that came in French Spanish English Dutch like it's just it's a it's a it's a the Indian, East Indian population that came in, you know, as indentured folk, people working, like, so you when you have the rotis and how it all just really becomes one. Like you think about a Jamaican curry, it's 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 by definition like that amalgamation of culture.
2: And That's we,
0: why I love it, man. Yeah. I really, you can taste everything.
2: Yeah. yeah, and we want to be the ones, and we also want to be the ones who are controlling that the narratives to a certain extent and how they're how they're introduced to the world and like. The stories that go behind them, because like John was talking about, just Haley Bieber CMO smoothies at. Fucking that's Erewhon. That's crazy. You know, I saw like, a jar of CMOs
5: <laughs> like eight ounces, or not even. That's probably it's probably like six ounces, and it was like thirty-two dollars. Like, it's just that's crazy. Let's just me. talk
2: about. Let's just let's get let's pay
5: homage shout out to Erewhon because they, they got <laughs> yeah. that
3: wavy waffle shout out and to <laughs> Sovereign Serif on deck.
1: We gonna we gonna we, we, we gonna set y'all out with some CMOs. We gotta, in gotta the
3: put that in the smoothie though. <laughs> yeah. Help
1: help Sorry. us control two other narratives. So like I'm flipping through this book and like you know I've not I've spent zero time in the Bronx because John's never invited me.
3: I came to visit you in, the, in San Francisco. Though, That's right. So this is a, this has been a one way friendship, <laughs> oh, gotta,
1: dude. Now you, you I gotta fix that. John gets it. Help expl- control this narrative because I think mean, the first recipe of this book is for chopsties, Right? It's chop cheese. Tri- triple C C-C, and then C-C. then it's chop cheese. But like you start to see this thing trickle outside of its original home, and then you got another thing. You've got like these nutcrackers cocktails and like i'm sitting here thinking like wow this fancy restaurant invented the idea of pre-batch cocktails like they've already batched these ahead of time and they just serve them to me like explain these two things and help help control the narrative of like what this stuff where the where this came from i think
3: osai has some good gems on these ones
1: (laughs) well
5: i mean chop's D's was actually so yes, triple C's is the first recipe almost because it had to stand by itself. Like we felt like it had to be in the book, but it didn't fit anyplace else. And it was like let's let's set the tone, It's very high level. And that's
1: caviar, well, crab yeah, salad, and cornbread, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. it's our, it's our it's biographical our, dish. It's like the signature yes. thing that if you see us, you'll often see that.
1: Yeah, mm. I remember actually. You're right. That's the first recipe. I remember reading that first recipe like. Oh my god, is everything in this book gonna have this much meaning? This is incredible. Like, how are they gonna do this?
5: That was like the that was the last head, <laughs> head note I wrote. The first head note I wrote was the Chopstees recipe. And once we reviewed that together, I felt like, okay, I'm really I mean, we had talked through all the recipes already by that time and gone through all the technical, precise. You know elements of you know method, which I know I'm sure you love. <laughs> I'm sure you love that process. Um, so tedious, so tedious, so slow. But uh, then it was time. Okay, like how? What, what's the story that we're telling? How, how are we? How are we organizing these recipes? Where do they go? How? How are we connecting this this tissue? And I felt like you know hearing them talk about this classic deli sandwich. Which
1: what? What is it? Which, Explain well, it. I'm,
5: I mean, that's, it's a it's yeah. a
4: sandwich that is comprised of. Uh, a burger but you know a burger patty cheese onions your option if you want lettuce tomato mayonnaise ketchup but it's it really signifies it really it really distills in one dish the bronx you know a, a community of you know blue collar workers hustlers you know ghetto-nomics and uh is is we had to elevate it you know plant based of course chipotle onions but it was one of those dishes that really once you see that, you know, okay, these guys, are, these guys are valid. They're from the Bronx. This is, you know, their idea of food, nutrition, and they're ready to share it with the world. Mm-hmm. So it's really about embodying the, the community
1: and, and I It's I all chopped it a... on the. Gr- I'm just saying because like, people are gonna oh, see yeah, this yeah. dish somewhere Hamburger. else and they don't know where it came from. It's, a chopped, it's, chopped a, chopped it's yeah. a chopped cheeseburger. It's
4: right. a chopped cheeseburger. It's a chopped
2: cheese. It's, it's a chopped hacking. cheeseburger.
4: It's a hack job, but yeah. <laughs> it's fucking delicious. Yeah. But it's an uptown.
2: It's an uptown staple. So it's a right. chopped cheese. But it's the first recipe in the book because it's the first chapter. Is the is an ode to the Bronx. Right. And if you're talking about the Bronx, you're gonna talk about the chops. The chopped cheese. But we are talking about the chopped stees because we put our own style onto it. Our own, you know, our own language using different ingredients and just that part. Con- continuing the yeah. same conversation you know but giving it from the lens of people from the community not from somebody at white gold selling you a fucking chopped cheese with on wagyu brioche. beef <laughs> on, on a brioche for 23 dollars right. you know what i'm saying because like, that should
5: happen i mean to right. talk about that but like, what about it like, but, I, 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 but to kind of, well just to thread that a little bit like I think that's also a, a source of comfort, right? Because you know, you know, they know what they're talking about. You, you, you get a sense of who who these folks are. But then you're also seeing, like, okay, these are, things are a little different, but I trust it, right? So in terms of the people getting it, it's also about, you know, we had someone ask us last night in an event, like, how do you? This was Mona Holmes, actually. Shout out to Mona at Eater. Um, you know, talking about how do we encourage folks who are used to not. Not get not having the opportunity to see their food displayed as it is here in this book so beautifully, um, having it kind of relegated or dismissed, and then having an opportunity to go and experience that. And it's like so unique and like it's almost like an affront, right? Because it's so different from what you're comforted with. And so that's a real challenge for some communities who don't, you know, see their their identities reflected in all these different spaces all the time. So I think what is really cool about how they work with recipes is like thinking about, okay, we're going to make this recognizable, but we're going to give you something that you could step away from or step toward. Um, and it's 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 an expansion of, of. I mean, if you're someone who dines out a lot in fine dining or you have a lot of fresh produce locally available to you, a lot of these ingredients are not going to surprise you. But for a lot of folks, this is going to be a chipolino onion. Like some people don't even know how to pronounce that,
4: right? Heirloom tomato. Yeah,
5: <laughs> it's like, I'm what? Like... Why can't I just get And so, you know, there's, they've layered, right? Like some people may come to that part later. And again, it's not about shaming or dismissing, you know, what people have and working with what you have. But, you know, when that opportunity is there, when that knowledge is there, you know, sometimes, you know, what's so difficult about all these systemic injustices that we talk about is it robs you of the ability to imagine, right? It, It robs you of even knowing it's a possibility. And when you meet people who have been so disenfranchised and that first brush with like, it's different over there. Why is it different over there? What's wrong with me? Right. It's a, it's a deeply wounding thing. So to kind of manage that through food and to say, like, I see myself here, but I can also step outside myself and, and still be at home. I think it's a really powerful part of ghetto gastro.
1: You worry at all. You're going to get the same thing Chang gets when like he tries to make Korean food and like Korean people are like, what the fuck did you do to our <laughs> Korean think, food? I think you no, gonna we... always
3: get that because nothing's ever going to measure up to your grandmother's oxtail soup mm-hmm. or bibimbap or fried chicken or macaroni and cheese because it's not just what you're tasting. It's also the love and the memories that you're going to associate with the flavors and the smells and, and that you're tasting. So mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be hard to beat that, but we're just giving you a different point of view, you know? And we're not always here to follow traditions. We're here to be
4: disruptive and, you know, start new, create new narratives with our food, you know. It's really about paying homage to, you know, who created the dish, you know, originally. But with us and adding our own technique or our own, you know, flavor profile to it, that's where the Bronx comes in. Because, like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, we think about... When we're cooking, like hip hop, for instance, we're artists, you know. So we think about, it, like, we think about it like a song, right? The song was fire when just Mary J. Blige was on it, right? But then when Puff hopped on it and started rapping, then he threw Biggie on it too. That was, you know, it was lit. It was, it, it was a song that was recreated maybe from the sixties or seventies, and then, or it was a dish that was created in the, you know, at one time where, the, uh, it, at one time, and then we just redid it again. So it's really about you know, remixing these dishes and, and adding some stees to it and making it fly. And yeah.
2: our shit is tested too. Like yeah. we, we Like, we serve our food all over the world, everywhere from Hong Kong to Tokyo to the Caribbean to the South and everybody and people are pleased, man. Like, the cornbread like, we're not, I'm not saying it's better than your grandmother's cornbread, but I bet you it's probably one of the most interesting bites of cornbread you've ever it had. Such good cornbread. You know what I'm saying? Like, who who else do you know that serves cornbread with crab and caviar on top of it? You know, and our shit is, and we worked on that recipe for years. So many caviar converts, too. Like, in
3: our community, often yeah. the caviar is not something you come across or may have tasted. And yeah, it's we like, just... hold up, wait, I, so many caviar converts based on that. But also, I, w- I would just wanna, wanna piggyback mm-hmm. and mention, that is really, doesn't have to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think the quickest path to destruction is trying to please everybody.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: We we have an internal conversation. We try to please ourselves and our tribe, and then it's open up for everybody else to join us and come along for the ride. But we're, we're not here to, to please anybody besides, like, ourselves. We're here to shake up the room, man. Fuck shit up.
5: <laughs> <laughs> but holding ourselves to a really, you know, high bar, I mean, I think, you know, we're all very personally driven um, obviously everything that they do it just it takes effort you know um, and there's an ease to how it looks but you know it doesn't stop like <laughs> it really doesn't stop. Never stop like I mean there's so many times where it's like okay we gotta pause this meeting cause we gotta meet so and so we're gonna go to this gallery and hold on and I'm just like you know you just yeah it's 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 a lot it's a lot, it's a lot happening
0: <laughs> I mean then what's
3: next after this book you're gonna be on Global domination. Poor CP. Look, we put in the G in CPG because it's really about resources and being able to build big businesses that have the social impact component. Like looking at what the founder of Patagonia did, I'm not saying we're going to build a multi billion dollar business to give it away, but we're definitely going to reinvest in our communities. We don't want to have to ask for permission. That's something that we learned during a pandemic like I don't want to have to call up clients of ours that have more profits than the GDPs of small countries in the continent of Africa to ask for help in the Bronx it's like we want to be able to deploy that capital the resources to make a change when necessary so we have to become those better billionaires that the world needs I mean
0: I was thinking, ghetto gastro carabiners and uh, fleece, fleece jackets, <laughs> quarter zips,
3: <laughs> Patagucci. Patagastro. With, with, with like Patagastro. venture capital firm logos embroidered yeah. on the fr- on, a, on the um, left breast. Patagastro. <laughs> gastro, Patagonia does food too. So hey, collab works, baby.
2: But yeah, the future, yeah, that's what the future looks like. John just hit it on the head. Well, I appreciate
3: you guys coming out of your way. I know you have a lot of commitments. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for giving us that blurb. Chris, thank you for always being available to l- allow me to bend your ear and for being supportive of the movement. And Dave, thank you most of all for kicking all of the white people out the kitchen <laughs> at, at the Mad Symposium in 2014 <laughs> when we first met.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs>
5: That's
4: True,
2: Yo, Black Power Kitchen available everywhere Damn, right nah. now. Black Power Kitchen, Black Power Kitchen, Black Power Kitchen. Black cop, cop one,
4: cop two, cop a few, <laughs> cop, cop 10. ten. Tell a friend. Let the games begin.
0: Well, that was a conversation. Please. Encourage them to have their own podcast because they just sound way cooler than us.
1: God, they're so good at talking. It's unbelievable. I just feel like a marble-mouthed idiot around those guys. <laughs>
0: I'm not even, don't even try anymore. <laughs> but they're, they're, they got a lot of products. You can get their stuff at Williams-Sonoma at Target, both in terms of the hard goods, such as the Waffle Fryer, Air Fryer, and their wavy products, which are the pancake waffle, uh, sorghum. And uh, now there's book. And who knows? They, ha- they-, they said they have all kinds of stuff in the works, and I, I don't doubt it. But uh, they're-, they're-, they're on the road a lot, and uh, it's good to support them. Give us five stars. Support us. <laughs> give us five stars. And give one star to everybody else. <laughs>